everyone, Ashley Easter here, and I am the host of the Courage 365 show, and we have a really great show lined up for you tonight. I'm really excited to have Nicole Lim on the show a little bit later on, but yeah, I hope your summer is going well. We've had some hot weather for us, and I've been outside a little bit, so if you can see me being a little bit red, well, I didn't get my stage makeup, so you just have to see the sunburn, but... (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah, we've got a really great show ahead of us tonight, but something I wanted to talk about first is creating a survivor healing plan. So at the Courage 365 show and Courage 365 as an organization, it is our goal to help survivors really get into that state of thriving. And part of that is embracing healing. Now, there are so many different healing techniques and I couldn't even begin to count all the different ways. But something that I have noticed with a lot of survivors and particularly myself early on in my healing journey is that a lot of people don't have a plan or even a vision for what healing could look like for them. So sometimes you'll experience a traumatic situation, some type of abuse, maybe it's sexual violence, domestic violence, um, spiritual abuse, whatever it is, and you begin to have those triggers and those flashbacks and the PTSD, and you get to this point where you realize, wow, you know, my body is not responding and acting the way I want it to. It's understandable that I'm having these reactions because of trauma, but this isn't how I want to live my life for forever. And we can get discouraged because these painful things have happened to us. And then even after the abuse stops, the PTSD can still be there lingering. And we really want to have that quote unquote normal life where we are enjoying ourselves and really embracing our freedom, but it can seem so far away. And I'm not here to tell you that there's a quick fix for that because Healing can be a slow process and it's different for every person. But what I do want to talk about is knowing what healing could look like for you, knowing what your goals are and having a plan to get there can make all the difference and can speed up the healing journey. So the first thing that I recommend that people do who are healing from abuse is that once they are safe, once they are out of that abuse situation, that they make a list of goals that they would like to meet. You know, what would it look like for you to experience healing? What are goals that you want to reach? You know, I'm not saying that you can completely take away the effects of the past, but what would be a goal you would want to get to that would make you feel a lot better? That would be something that you that can keep you going, pressing forward in your healing journey. And get specific about this. So sometimes what I've done in the past and what I know a lot of other people do is they use this very broadly and their goal is just, well, I just want to heal. Or their goal is, you know, I just want to feel better. And that's really understandable. And in broad terms, I get that. But it's really hard to make a plan to get to that place unless (laughs) you can be more specific than that. So maybe on your list, healing means I want to feel safe in romantic relationships again. Maybe on your list of what healing looks like for you would be, I want to reduce my anxiety or I want to embrace more self-love. Whatever is on that list, I want you to write it down because just the simple act of writing down what you want, a goal that you want to have, there is a much more likelihood that you're actually going to reach the goal if you take the time to Understand what that goal is, get specific, and then write it down. So again, try to try to tease it out. What specifically 
What are those goals you want to reach? Don't try to go too broad because um, it's hard to create a plan. Once you have that list, then it's time to make a step-by-step plan of what actions you can take to begin to walk towards that in your journey. So maybe um, that is, you know, something that you can do on your own for your healing journey. Maybe that means um, going and getting therapy or talking to a coach or, you know, going through some type of a course where you can learn skills that you previously weren't aware of or hadn't learned that could really help you in your healing journey. Maybe you've gone through therapy and all those things, but now it's time to test out safe relationships and put those skills into action. Um, you know, what are what are things that need to be done to get you to a place where you can have access to those resources? Um, so for instance, therapy can be expensive if our health insurance doesn't cover it. So what are some ways that you can accomplish the goal of getting into therapy if that is one of your steps on the healing journey? Well, maybe you can reach out to an organization like Together We Heal. That's an organization that helps pair people with coaches for lower costs. Um, Maybe it is setting aside some money in your budget to be able to start Um, collecting money so you can have several sessions of therapy and be able to cover that. Maybe, you know, therapy isn't the right path for you and there's something completely different, but making tangible steps can help you know that you're making progress on your journey. Now, I just want to iterate that after you've made your list and after you've made those steps to be able to make those things possible in your life, I want you to remember that healing takes time. There are no quick fixes, and I'm not um, trying to make light of this and saying that as soon as you have a plan, everything's going to be better. But having a plan makes it more likely for you to follow through and go after and get the healing that you want. You shouldn't be in this position in the first place, but since you are, I want you to be able to feel empowered to take those steps so you can enjoy your life to the fullest. Everybody has a different journey as well. So it can be helpful to look at other survivors' journeys and see what was helpful for them, to pick up different tips and tools, therapies that were helpful for them. But then at the end of the day, you need to decide what feels right for you, what's going to help you accomplish your goals. That's super, super important. And then lastly, you deserve to heal. Something that abusers tell us all the time is that you deserve, you do not deserve to heal. You can't heal. You are broken and there's nothing that you can do to make your life better. That's simply not true. You deserve to heal. And there are so many healing modalities out there Um, that you can access. Now, if you're not sure where to start on your healing journey, if you want, if you have goals and you're not sure, you know, what to do to accomplish those things, I'd encourage you to go to courage365.org. And if you click on the button at the top right-hand corner, it says need help. And in this need help tab, it gives you a list of different hotlines you can call, different supportive blogs and websites and organizations that can give you the support that you need. I'd encourage you to look to that list and see what resonates with you and begin that healing journey today. So I just want to say you deserve to heal. You deserve to try to heal. And I want to be here to encourage you along that path. Now, we have a great interview lined up for you, but we're going to come to our interview in just a few minutes after this short break. So there's choices that you have the opportunity to make. You can either stay with your abuser or you can leave. 
And make no mistake about it, it's gonna be hard either way you go. But I can tell you one thing for sure. If you do decide to make that courageous decision to go, there's hope, so much hope. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Courage 365 show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter, and today we have special guest, Nicole Lim. Hey Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey Ashley, it's been a long time, it's good to see you. So good to see you, and we connected, what was it, like maybe two years ago? Was it 2017, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, I just really admired your work, and I'm so thankful that you're willing to chat with us tonight to share um, all of your gifts and skills and about your organization. This is this is just so exciting for me. So thank you. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to read. I love this platform. It's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody, we're experiencing a little bit of a delay. So if you notice that in your video, we're going to um, maybe slow down our um, response time a little bit just because there's a delay. So hopefully we'll get that all worked out for you. But um, yeah, just hang with us. We're going to have a great interview. So um, Nicole, I'm going to read your bio here, um, just what you sent to us. Nicole Lim is a speaker, educator, and consultant on leveraging dignity through the restorative art of storytelling. That's so awesome. I love that line so much. Uh, Nicole shifts paradigms on how stories are told by performing, uh, platforming voices of the oppressed, sharing stories of beauty arising out of seemingly broken situations. As founder and international director of Freely in Hope, Nicole has been deeply transformed by the powerful, tenacious, and awe-inspiring examples of survivors. Survivors' audacities, dreams have informed her philosophy for a survivor-led approach to community and transformation. And everybody, that is what we're going to be focusing on tonight is the survivors-led approach, how to be a survivor ally, how to support those survivors who are leading in this space. Um, Nicole, you, this bio just is it's really great, and I love how you um, share yourself as a storyteller and uplifting the voices of the oppressed. Tell us how you got here. Like, what's your backstory, and what's the work that you do? Let everybody know who you are. Yeah, so my background is in filmmaking and photography. And so in my early teens and into my late teens, I was traveling the world documenting stories of people who experienced um, very difficult challenging circumstances. And I was um, galvanizing the world shooting for different nonprofit organizations that I found myself in Nairobi, Kenya. And as I was capturing stories for another organization, I was hearing story after story of trauma upon trauma and how a lot of these stories were related to lack of access to education. Mm. And many survivors would come forward during the interview process when I was filming, filming them to tell me their story of how they were survivors of sexual violence. They were raped by uncles and fathers and teachers because they didn't have access to quality education. Wow. Uh, a lot of these girls were also sent to the streets to work in prostitution because they needed to earn income for their family. And so those stories really struck me because being a third generation Chinese American, um, 
school is imperative. Like mm. ideally get your master's and if you get your doctorates, then the family will be more proud of you. And mm. so um, because these girls were struggling so hard cultural expectations to receive their education. That's, that was a concept that was very foreign for me. And so I um, decided through the stories of the survivors that I was hearing, decided to change my career from wow. filmmaking photography to simply capturing the story to now being a part of the story and uplifting them toward their dreams and their goals of mm. pursuing an education to build a better world. Wow. Wow. So instead of just telling the stories, now you're in the story, in that narrative, making a difference. Oh, that's so cool. And so tell me about your organization now. Like, um, how did that come in? How long has Freely and Hope been around? What do you all do? Who's your focus? All those things. Yeah. So Freely and Hope is actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. And we were supposed oh. to have the big party, but we're going to push the party to next year. <laughs> um, so in 10 years, we have really seen such growth and transformation in the survivors that we serve. Um, to be honest, though, when I started the organization 10 years ago, that was not the intent to even start an organization. My intent was to help my friends who were survivors coming, coming forward and telling me their story to support them through their academic career. Mm. What I found was when I started, it was a little bit of a financial investment in their academic career. Once they started going to university, once they started realizing their own autonomy, once they started uh, finding courage and vision again, um, they were telling me, okay, now that we're at school, now we want to be advocates. Now we want to learn mm -hmm. how to speak and teach and share our story with other survivors and to also change systems so that no other girl will experience the same trauma that I did. Wow. Wow. So I'm hearing all of these dreams and these visions and I'm like, Okay, so we're no longer a scholarship providing organization, now mm. we're a leadership development organization. And so as that, as we started to equip the leadership skills of these survivors, and that started to evolve even more into um, an outreach program where we, we call them storytelling platforms where our survivors share their stories on public platforms, sharing their journey of how they found healing, how they have found justice, and how they have been able to rise above a lot of the systematic oppression that they've experienced and bring about new systems of liberation for themselves and for the communities. Um, so in the past 10 years, um, we have sponsored over 40 girls through a scholarship program. Wow. And through their leadership, they have reached, um, every year we reach about 2,000 students through their leadership where we speak at schools, churches, um, children's homes, and other organizations that need the survivor voice and the survivor mm. um, leadership. Um, and we don't get that often in the countries that we serve, which is predominantly Kenya and Zambia right now. Um, so for other girls to see leaders who look like them, yeah. have similar stories as they do, that's when the, the sense of hope and healing starts to form again. And I think that's where um, we actually see an uprising of this next generation of young leaders who are seeking to not only transform themselves and in mm. their own healing process, but to also transform the systems of oppression. Beautiful. That's such important work. And I love how you describe that progression. Like first you're seeing a problem, you're creating a solution with education, then you're empowering those who've been educated to become leaders. And then those leaders are you know, in these outreach groups and they're helping other people. And so it's a very, like it's a very sustainable model of helping people, getting them to a place where then they help others and are able to, you know, continue um, creating change in the world. That's 
That's so awesome. And our focus today is going to be on how to be a survivor ally. But before we can even talk about being an ally, I think we need to camp out on why is it so important that organizations that deal with abuse are survivor led? Like that is obviously what's going on in your organization. You prioritize survivor leaders. Why is that so important? Um, and why would, say, an organization that isn't survivor led, why, why could that potentially not be a good thing? Yeah, and I have learned so much about this because um, I am not a survivor of sexual uh, abuse to the extent that um, a lot of the girls in our community have experienced, right? And so because of that, my um, experiences, my solutions, my ideas are going to be radically different. Mm. And so because of that, the communities that we serve, right, are, are not only from a different story context of being right. survivors, right? They're also from a different cultural context than I'm Yeah. In. And so with that, there's so many layers of difference that when I'm coming in, um, I've learned that I need to listen to the, to the mm. needs of the community so that the solutions that I provide are actually created for, created by, created for the survivors that we serve. Um, I've learned that if I come up with ideas and solutions and implement it in a cultural context that's not my own, I remember the mm -hmm. varying levels of cultural context, yeah. um, it's not going to work. Um, I've tried it. It didn't work. And so I've had many people in my community, the survivors, like blatantly tell me like, okay, that idea is not going to work. We need to yeah. translate yeah. it. We need to ensure that the people at the, at the forefront look like us. We need to make sure that the solutions that you're providing are um, actually driven by the needs that we have. And especially because mm -hmm. we work with very low income communities where the level of oppression and the access to justice is the access to justice is impossible and the level, mm -hmm. of, the level of oppression is that so many issues where you have not only socioeconomic status, but you also right. have um, gender-based dynamics. Yeah. You also have tribal dynamics. And so mm -hmm. with all of those, the communities that we serve face such injustice that I believe that only they have the solutions for them. And so all of our storytelling platforms, all of our outreach programs are actually designed by the survivors themselves. So we provide the funding, we provide the resources, we provide the um, kind of the incubator to help them mm. discern what do they want their storytelling platform to look like and how can we as the organization fund and support that entity so that when they go out in the community, they have all the support that they need, but also they're carrying their vision and their authority into the community because they've been there and they know exactly right. how needs to be said, how it needs to be translated, and how it needs to um, show up for it to be received in the best way. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like true empowerment. Um, because what I have seen in different organizations, and um, if anybody knows me, I call out the Southern Baptist Convention on a regular basis, and they have a new program called Caring Well, and they've had their conferences, they put out curriculums. And what I've seen is they really have not sought the advice of survivors who've been wounded the most. There are survivors who have definitely been wounded, but they fit a very specific um, uh, criteria. You know, they still feel comfortable in church. They're still able to talk about um, not believing in women's equality and all these different things. And so what they've created out of their conferences and out of their curriculum is really something that's not working long term. Um, things that there's holes in their 
safety procedures. There's um, missteps that they've taken that easily could have been avoided if they allowed survivors who are not only wounded within church communities, but also are outcasts from church communities to come in and say, this is how you can fix this. This is how you can make it better. And so I love that your idea isn't coming in and being like this, the savior who knows everything. It's like, hey, we have some opportunity to give you education. We have some empowerment tools, but we also value you and your lived experience. And we really want that to inform how our program moves forward. And I think that is just, that is the way it should be done. I mean, that's so beautiful. Could you tell us about some of your community, your leaders that you have built up and like what projects they're working on? Would love to hear that. Yeah. Well, the one that comes to mind that I think kind of relates to this, um, this sense that churches often ostracize certain people, mm. right? And especially in Africa, in our places where we've experienced, um, and I'm only saying especially because that's my only context. So right, right. Only, yeah, <laughs> my context is the only one because I'm sure many Americans can have similar stories. So um, in a lot of the churches that we work with, in a lot of the churches that our girls come from, they have been ostracized by the church because they're a survivor of rape, mm. often uh, labeled as women's prostitution. Um, we've had situations where a lot of girls who had been raped were forced to come forward to the, to the, to the front of the church and apologize uh, oh, for being raped. I, yes, being... that has happened. <laughs> yes, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I actually recall, yeah, we, we talked about this before of, of how this happens like globally, right? Yeah. And so yeah. our, like, if, Yes, a lot of people have experienced that worldwide. And so because of that, if we try to create some solution, especially from this like hope and reconciliation lens, forgive the perpetrator lens, right? We're moving to solutions too quickly without actually yeah. recognizing the trauma and we're causing more harm than good. And yes. I believe the point of the church is to cause, is to bring about good, right? The good news, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> is the good news of hope and healing um at the same time if we are letting our ego get in the way then that's where the harm comes in to be honest and so if we can remove our ego and actually let the voices of those who've been oppressed the survivors share their ideas to implement um their their vision and their and to speak their voices and mm -hmm. to have a sense of authority in terms of what would need to happen to provide that sense of hope and healing yeah um, then that's when i hope that we can actually see true transformation. And I think that's where that sense of allyship comes together is where mm -hmm. we, like for me, not being a survivor, also being a person of faith, asking, how can mm -hmm. I come alongside of you and support you right. in that vision that you see? Right, right. Yeah. And I love that. And I think too many times religious organizations, um, you know, they're really focused on damage control and, you know, kind of keeping people in line and, you know, everything that you're saying resonates with me because I've uh, worked mainly with survivors who've experienced abuse in Christian faith communities. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had on this show, Naima Didu, and she um, comes from a Muslim background and like describes some of the very same similar things. And I think there's a potential for people to leverage religion to be um, a place where safety and support is found. But I think too many times it can be used as a weapon against um, those who are, you know, already devastated by, you know, another form of abuse. 
Mm. That's a good point. And this is where I think um, it, it's a call to now create our own church structures, right? Mm. The church is where people gather, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be a church building. It doesn't have to be affiliated with any denomination. And so one of these like gatherings and safe spaces, as you said, um, structures that we've developed that's also survivor led um, is called the Mokia program. Mokia means queen in Swahili. And it was designed um, by a, a survivor of prostitution, someone who had gone through our whole scholarship curriculum or leadership development curriculum. And when she graduated, she was like, it, I can't be the only one who's freed from the streets. Like I need to go back. So she went back to the streets. She tried to rally her friends and to wow. tell them there's another way. Wow. So she designed this program for them that is a two year long program providing um, life skills training, providing parenting mm -hmm. skills, providing um, sex ed, providing um, entrepreneurship training and skills, soap making, um, yogurt making, um, mm. bead making. And so through all the skills that they learn in this program, the women then can decide how then, now that I have the skills, now that I have the right. education, now that I have a community of support and belonging, mm. how then do I want to live? And from our program, we've seen 88% rate of women leaving the streets. So mm -hmm. I believe that that success in our program is only because these initiatives, again, were designed by women in prostitution going back into the same communities yeah. to tell the, the, themselves essentially mm -hmm. that there's another way and that they have a choice and they have an option of mm -hmm. how they want to um, utilize the skill sets that they receive. What mm -hmm. we found is that most of the time they don't have any skill set and so they're forced into um, prostitution work because they've been doing it since they were six years old. Right. Um, so if we provide an alternative, if, we, if not only providing the alternative, but also providing the role model of mm. someone who has been through that trajectory and can tell them there is another way, that would be so much yeah. more powerful than if it's coming from me. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think too, the dynamics between prostitution in many countries um, such as the ones that you mentioned and the dynamics of prostitution in the U.S., like there's people in the U.S. often have a lot more options. And so there are people who may choose that this is something that feels empowering for my body and I want to take this path. This is a choice. Um, but there are other people who really don't have any other options. This is the only way to take care of themselves. They've been sexually abused as a child. And so, you know, they, you know, there's those patterns there and, and really love that you're op offering, like, here are some options for you. At the end of the day, you get to choose, but here, here are options. And that's, uh, that's so powerful, I, I love that. And so now that we've talked about the importance of survivor-led organizations, I wanna now talk about allies for survivors. What does it mean to be an ally? Like, can, can anybody be an ally? Um, what are like some no-nos for people who, you know, want to be an ally, but maybe make some missteps? Um, talk to us all about allyship. Yeah. Um, so like I said, when I got into this work, I was a filmmaker fresh out of college. I was 21. Um, I didn't know anything. I didn't know any survivors in my community because in culturally, right, you, you don't talk about that. Right. Stuff. Um, so as these girls started to tell me their stories. I started to learn more. I started to ask questions. I started to recognize that what they were looking for was not a savior. You meant you referenced that mm -hmm. before. Um, they were looking for someone who could support them in their journey. And so how mm. I began to view it is 
um, being available for the survivor to essentially stand on my shoulders to support them to provide um, a sense of um, love and encouragement and a foundation for them so that they yeah. can lead with the vision. So they're telling me where to go, where, where mm -hmm. to turn, where to duck, where to like go left or right, because they can see the vision. And I love what you said earlier when you started the show about having that vision for healing. Survivors in our community have a, the, the most powerful vision for healing that I've ever experienced. And because of that, I strongly believe that survivors of sexual violence have the potential to become the most powerful leaders, the mm. most powerful liberators in our world, not just in wow. their little local community, but actually in our world. And yeah. so if we imagine the survivor to be that leader that we, um, that they believe themselves to be yeah. or that we hope that they could be, then our role really is to hold them as mm -hmm. they're on top of our shoulders and provide that sense of support so that they can lead the vision forward. Mm. Wow, that's, that's really, really beautiful. And I think that, I think what you said is really key about the visualizing of what healing could look like, but also what leadership could look like. Because what I've seen a lot of times happen with people who want to be allies of survivors is they want to put them in this box is like, oh, you poor little, little survivor, you know, I'm here to help you. I'm here to rescue you. And there are times when a physical rescue is needed. But if we continue to think of survivors as victims forever, you know, the victimization happened, but once that is over, then you're a survivor, somebody who's survived that victimization. Um, and then dreaming for wonderful things, not assuming that this is going to be a repeat occurrence, um, not assuming that you can't make strides in your life, but instead believing that there are things you're going to be more attuned to. Like I know my intuition is really strong now. Um, there are things that I'm able to foresee in, you know, my organization and my business that other people can't see because I have learned how to, you know, know, Ooh, this person doesn't seem right. I don't think I want to partner with them. You know, there are skills you shouldn't have had to learn <laughs> these coping skills, but there are skills that have been learned when you've experienced suffering and trauma and, you really can leverage those to become a great leader and see the world a different way that other people don't. And um, yeah, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. What what would you say, you know, we've talked about not making somebody um, feel like, you know, we're coming here to rescue them and that we're not the savior. Are there any other pitfalls that people should stay away from that you've noticed or heard from the women that you work with? What are things that are kind of a turnoff um, as an ally? Yeah, um, you mentioned it, the, the importance of language. So mm -hmm. um, very early on, you know, a lot of these more governmental agencies will use the word victim. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so because that's, you know, the language that's happening it's like you know we use this word victim and one of my very first girls like literally just said to me I'm no longer a victim I'm a survivor because I'm still alive and I'm like mm. oh okay so we changed our language and so actually yeah. in our organization we don't use the word victim anymore and if right. we talk about for example prostitution right we'll say women working in prostitution rather than label them as prostitute um, mm. a child who's been orphaned rather than an orphan um, so that way we're again seeing them in this 
vision, right? Um, that's a higher calling. And I feel like one of the mistakes that a lot of um, Americans do is, like you said, putting survivors in a box. So you put mm. survivors in a box because you don't know the story. You don't understand. Right, right. Now take that to the next level of putting a survivor in the box from a different, completely mm-hmm. different cultural context <laughs> yeah. who doesn't speak yeah. their language, okay? So it's so much easier then to put them in, even, in an even smaller box. Right. And so what I've seen is that a lot of, especially donors who come to me who want to invest in Africa, they're like, oh, what do they need? Oh, can they start making jewelry? Oh, can they go to a entrepreneurship class and learn a new skill? And I'm like, no, they want to go to college and they want to get their master's and they want to become doctors and lawyers right. and nurses and healers. Yeah. Um, so we actually believe in our organization, we fund higher level education, which not many organizations do specifically yeah. survivors, because we believe if the girls are provided with the education they need for university, mm-hmm. um, then they have the authority to enter into these systems where they can uh, have authority and have leaderships, a leadership stance, and then mm. infiltrate the system so that for generations to come, they can actually implement systems of healing and justice. Right. Um, so the, our goal is to get our survivors into those places of authority in their mm-hmm. country so that they can actually lead systematic change across in right. their country, and that will disseminate across the world. Yeah, that that reminds me of like the hierarchy of needs. And I think a lot of times when people are donating and thinking about survivors, they're thinking about the first level in the hierarchy of needs, like the food, water, shelter, you know, work, you know, that those lower levels. But our goal isn't to stop there for, you know, myself as a survivor or for the survivors that I work with. It's not just getting safe. That is so important. Getting safe, getting the basic needs met, but then self-actualization is at the top of, you know, the ladder there and really believing that people can be self-actualized and that there's reason to invest in people getting those self-development, getting those um, you know, whether it's college degrees or different courses and trainings, um, you know, what you said is just so true. People put survivors in a box that, you know, once we get your needs met, we can have you make some jewelry. And don't don't get me wrong, like making jewelry, that can be an empowering thing to have your own business. But if you just stop there and don't believe that person could, you know, be, you know, have a business empire, you know, <laughs> or, you know, become a doctor or whatever, like we're really... Um, not doing a great service. We're just giving people enough to survive, not to thrive. And I love that your organization focuses on that. And that should be what true allies do is focus on the thriving, um, not stopping at the physical survival level. Um, And so if you could give like three tips to our audience, some of the audience that listens to the Courage 365 show identifies as survivors, but others do not. You know, they're friends and family members of survivors, they're pastors, they're, you know, um, people who are community leaders that care about survivors, even though that's not been their experience. What are like your best three tips on what they can be? what they can do to be a good leader to help people self-actualize and not just, you know, stay in that box. Yeah. Um, so my three tips are all three practices where it's like, you don't master it one time. Yeah. I mess up a lot. And the survivors in my community, my friends, they correct me every time. It's like, okay, you're not doing that again. I'm like, Oh, let me, let me try again. So, (laughs) um, the first one is listening, active listening. I think a lot of times when, survivors especially the first time come out to tell their story 
um, you want to jump into problem solving mode. Yeah. Let me help you. Let me schedule therapy for you. Do you need anything? Can I like support you? They give them a hug, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we jump too quickly to um, provide a solution that may be more harmful as we were talking more mm. about before as well. And so listen to the story. And what a lot of survivors tell me is that, you know, silence is the best medicine in that moment. They just need mm. to know that someone is present with them in their pain. Yeah. Because if you don't sit in the pain with them and you're jumping to solutions, that means you can't handle the pain and they're right. sitting in it. And so the goal of the allies to then sit with them in the pain and allow that sense of um, companionship there to be what helps to move you forward. Mm -hmm. Henry Nouwen says, um, humanity suffers and the sharing of the suffering is what moves us forward. And so mm -hmm. listening by sharing suffering would be my first tip. Second is um, practicing patience. So um, one of my friends, my friend is a Filipina poet. She just posted this the other day that really hit home for me. She said, uh, healing doesn't happen as quickly as the damage done. Mm. And I've been doing this work for 10 years and uh, I still know nothing, you know, yeah. I still realize that this is a long-term journey um, for myself and my vocation um, and also for the survivors as they're going through that healing journey. And I also have to remember that the journey is not mine, actually. Mm. There's support, I'm there to uplift, I'm there to encourage, I'm there to provide resources, um, but it's not mine. And so I can't dictate, I can't tell you that, what, you know, or ask you, why haven't you healed? Like, how come yeah. you haven't figured this out yet? Why are you repeating the same harmful pattern? Why are yeah. you still um, in abusive relationships? All those questions, right? It's like, it's not my journey. Um, and, and I can call it out, right, as truth mm -hmm. to allow the survivor to recognize that maybe what they are doing is harmful, but at the same time, when, when damage is done, damage to the extent of, you know, gross and blatant sexual violence is done, especially if it's like years of damage, um, the, the process of healing is a long-term yeah. um, journey and that requires a long-term solution to see transformative effects. Right. Um, and also because the systems of justice that we live under, unfortunately, are also very corrupt and unjust right. all over the world. Um, it requires patience and longevity for us as advocates and allies to continue to work to dismantle those systems. Um, just because you, you went to a rally for one day does not mean that you dismantled the system. Right. Um, and so if you want to be an ally and you want to be an advocate, you're going to have to keep fighting for justice yeah. until we can actually see an end to sexual violence, until we can actually right. see the, the court systems uphold the voices yeah. of survivors, until we can see stronger reporting processes, until we see more perpetrators finally being, being put into prison um, mm. with longer duration and more than just a slap on the hand, right? Um, I think of Chanel Miller's story, um, the Stanford survivor who went through so much in order to get um, Brock Turner convicted. And, and we need to see more of that, but it shouldn't be that difficult and it right. shouldn't be possible also. Right. Um, thirdly is compassionate advocacy. So as we talk about how to be an advocate, um, I think recognizing that the that we talked about the vision of the survivor is so strong and it's powerful our role as an advocate is to stand with and not for mm. to speak with and not for 
Yeah. Um, again, not, not having that savior mentality of being a voice for the voiceless. Um, survivors have their own voice. It's just that we're not listening. So yes. that's our fault and our yeah. ego and our bias that's in the way yeah. that needs to be moved. And so advocating means um, advocating with the voices, voices of survivors and listening to their needs, listening to their ideas and doing mm. whatever we can to ensure that their needs and their ideas and their visions are at the forefront so that we can move forward to see a more just world. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's all of that. So, so good. Like many mic drops in there. <laughs> this is just excellent. And I think it does give people uh, some tangible things to do to support survivors. And like you said, this isn't something that's one and done. Like to be a true survivor ally, it takes time. You're going to have to track with survivors for a long time. And if, if allies think that it's, exhausting imagine how exhausting it is for the survivors to have to fight for their voice to be heard every day and um you know rest is important and i don't think that people should you know work themselves to a place where they're always burning out but there has to be consistent sustainable action on the part of allies um because survivors do have voices that need to be heard but sometimes allies who haven't been in those situations need to be the ones to get those voices on the stage and to the door and at the table and and all of those things because um, they may be more likely to be listened to by those in power than the survivors initially. Um, now, one thing that you have that really intrigues me on your website, uh, Freely and Hope, is your um, Advocates Society. I'm like, what is that? That sounds amazing. That title sounds like something that would really excite me. Uh, what What is this program that you have, Advocates Society? It sounds like, um, I don't know, some type of a secret group or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not a shake or something. <laughs> No, it's not a secret. Anyone can join. Mm -hmm. um, the Advocate Society is people who want to stand with survivors by mm -hmm. campaigning and fundraising and donating their birthday or climbing a mountain. We had one advocate who um, said that he would go bald if he um, met his goal and he actually exceeded his goal. We've also had a high school student who collected change from all of the students at the high school and raised over $2,000 in pennies. So nice. uh, someone in the advocate side society, someone who wants to stand with survivors and the dreams of survivors by doing what they can and, yeah. and um, spending their privilege and um, using their power and their resources and their money to partner with survivors. So you can sign up on our website, uh, phillyhope.org slash advocate society um, and sign up just by punching in your birthday or launching a campaign. If you already know you're gonna climb Mount Kilimanjaro tomorrow <laughs> and uh, raise money for Freely and Hope, go right ahead. Yeah, that sounds great. And I think there, it sounds like there's a lot of options for how people can kind of draw attention to the cause and raise money. And do you have like different suggestions on that page, what people can do, or do they pitch ideas to you? How does that work? Yeah, so we have ideas of successful campaigns in the past up there. So you can see what other advocates have done mm -hmm. before. But if you have a crazy idea and you want to partner with us for it, um, by all means, reach out to us, um, sign up with your birthday and someone will reach out to you and we can start brainstorming your campaign. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And everybody, we're going to come right back to this interview in a minute, but we're going to take a short break.
Hey, my name's Ashley Easter, and with Intuition Mastery, it is my mission to empower women to make wise decisions for themselves so they can take charge of their life and their destiny. I do this through teaching about the power of intuition, of tapping into your very own inner wisdom. When women tap into their intuition, they are more likely to be safer, happier, more successful, and more abundant. And when they do this, they then in turn not only create this wonderful experience for themselves, but also for those around them. With Intuition Mastery, I teach you the tips, the tricks, and the tools to dive deep into your intuition so you can confidently make decisions for yourself. Hey everyone, Ashley Easter here on the Courage 365 show and I am interviewing Nicole Lim. We have been talking about everything survivor allyship and been having a great conversation. Um, Nicole, I really wanted to ask you what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? I got asked this to everybody who comes on the show just because we pick high quality guests, people who've lived amazing lives or doing amazing things. And to get to a place like that, I believe everybody has to have a piece or several pieces of advice that kind of keep them going. Maybe it's a mantra or, you know, just something that really stuck with you. Could you share what that thing is for you? Yeah. So earlier you mentioned that um, as an ally, you, you're in it for the long haul, but at the same time, you don't want to burn out. And um, about three years into my career, I was 24, I burned out real bad. I um, got sick in Zambia and was hospitalized um, mm. from an unknown virus to what I can say is now secondary PTSD. Mm. And there were so many issues of violence surrounding our communities that I thought that the violence of the world was a reflection of my that burden on as my own. Um, and I became very ill. In my, um, in my recovery, my spiritual director, director actually told me, um, if you want to heal the world, you must first heal yourself. Mm. And I think that's been something that has really, that I've really had to remember so that I don't burn out again yeah. and be completely, you know, unhelpful and harmful in that way. Mm -hmm. um, so first healing, healing self um, to, to heal the world. So I think that's yeah. also an important thing for allies to recognize too is, um, a lot of the healing that we want to see within our friends who are survivors that we want to see within the world and the brokenness of our systems. Um, all of that brokenness is a reflection of humanity's brokenness. And so if we can start to mend our own sense of brokenness and find healing, mm -hmm. that is where we can actually radiate that out into the world. And um, my own healing journey was actually... Um, led and inspired by the survivor community who through their leadership and their models and their voices brought healing to my own life. And so I wonder if we can start to imagine that our allyship is a giving and exchanging of relationship mm. where we're actually learning from the voices of survivors, believing that they can be the most powerful leaders in their communities, in our lives. Um, and, and believing that to the point where you're willing to work with them toward that goal. Mm, yes, yes. I think so many times when we look at working with survivors, it's just this idea of like, what am I giving to them? Um, and I felt that from other people. You know, I've talked to them and I've shared their stories and I felt like I've shared my story with them and I felt like, you know, they're kind of looking at me like a charity project or something. But what you're saying is that there's this reciprocal flow of energy, this giving and receiving. And 
um, survivors have so much to bring to the table. And if we can just work together, we can really create amazing things. Um, I've burned out before, so that really, um, you know, sticks with me what you said. I actually have an autoimmune disorder, which um, there's a lot of studies shown that it can be connected to um, abuse in childhood, but also, you know, continued stress and all those types of things. And so I've had to learn that self-care is so, so important because if I burn out, um, not only is that just not personally good for me, but like you said, it's not helping other people and, you know, it can really um, cause challenges sometimes if, if you have goals and things you want to accomplish. So that's, that's really beautiful. And I know that people are going to want to follow you, follow your organization. Where can people get connected with your work? And um, also, I hear you have a book coming out. Is that right? <laughs> Tell us about that, too. Yeah. Oh this is in a six-year journey of my book. Praise the Lord. Um, so talk about burnout. I finally decided to write about it and to write about the process that um, led toward my healing, but the, in, in essence, the, the stories of the survivors that actually brought me to that point. Mm -hmm. um, so the book is called Liberation is Here. It drops on September 22nd. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Um, but it really just captures my story um, and how I have viewed the survivors in my life and how they've really supported me as I learned to support them better. Um, so you can follow me and all the updates on the book and our organization um, at Freely in Hope. Um, and that's freely in hope. In hope. Freely in hope. Um, that's the name of our organization. And then my handle is Nicole and I K O L E underscore Lim. Um, so follow me on Instagram there at me on Facebook and stay tuned for when more information on the book drop is happening and uh, make sure you get one. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited for that. And books, you know, those are things that take such a long time to birth into the world, but I can't wait for this to um, be available to the masses. You have so much wisdom and I just want to thank you for coming on the show and, um, yeah, thank you so, so much for this. <laughs> it was so good seeing you. So good seeing you. Well, everybody, I um, want to invite you to also follow the Courage 365 social media. We are streaming live every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And I would ask that you go to our YouTube channel, just search um, on YouTube, The Courage 365 Show. If you just search for Courage 365, it will come up. And please subscribe to our channel because like I've been telling you for the last couple weeks, we have followers on uh, Facebook, we've got followers on Twitter, but we need to work on getting numbers higher on our um, YouTube channel because when we can reach 100 subscribers, then we get a custom URL and it makes it a lot easier for us to share this work with more people. And of course, you can catch all the replays of our past shows at courage365.org. And in addition to catching the past shows on our website, you can also download a free ebook. And this ebook is called Five Keys to Living a Life of Courage. This is for survivors who want to take those first steps into their healing journey. This is our free gift to you just for 
visiting our website. And if you're somebody who's in a situation where you need help and support, if you're in imminent danger, please call the police. Um, but for any other things, I recommend that you go to courage365.org and click our need help tab. You'll be able to find supportive hotlines, supportive blogs, websites, and organizations. You can look through that and see what resonates with you. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Courage 365 show. I'm your host, Ashley Easter. Live with courage.